Welcome to the Data Leadership Lessons Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony J. Algeman. Data is everywhere in our businesses, and it takes leadership to make the most of it. We bring you the people, stories, and lessons to help you become a data leader. Today, I'm joined by Len Silverston. Len is a legend in the data management and governance community. He is a best-selling author of the Data Model Resource Book Series, owner of Universal Data Models LLC, providing template industry data models used throughout the world, and consultant and speaker helping organizations integrate their information, systems, and people. He is also an ordained Zen priest, providing coaching, seminars, retreats, and meditation sessions through zenwithlen.com. And he's one of the greatest influencers in my own career. Len, welcome to the show. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me here. Great to see you. So Len, why don't we just start off for, for a couple minutes, give people some insight onto what your career has been about, how you got into running your own business, and then how Zen and, and then ultimately Zen with Len has become such an important part of what you do. Sure. Well, I've been doing data consulting for the last 40 years in data management. But after about 10 years of doing it and developing hundreds of data models, I realized, oh my gosh, this is crazy to redevelop these constructs. Yeah. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, in 1990, we spent $150 million doing the data model. And I said, I either have to stop doing this career because it's so crazy or do something about it. So I chose the latter and I opened up universal data models in the 90s where I devoted uh, my career towards reusable industry models, reusable common models for all businesses and reusable patterns in data because there's patterns that come over and over. Hmm. And what we do now at Universal Data Models is I consult to companies all over the world in all different industries by jumpstarting their data modeling efforts, their data glossary efforts, their business glossary efforts, their mm -hmm. semantics efforts, their database design efforts, anything where you need a uh, ontology or taxonomy or understanding of these constructs. And so we license out models. I do consulting to customize it and we help jumpstart these efforts. So uh, what for the, for the novices out there, what what does a data model look like? What is a data model for someone who isn't as familiar with with data architecture and, and databases and stuff? So that's a great question because a lot of what we do is define terminology. Mm -hmm. So we're off to a good start. Now, a data model in the data management community is a graphic illustration of what the data structure may look like. So for instance, you may have a customer that has many orders, so that's another box that has many line items hmm. uh, that are connected to products. Uh, so there might be four boxes with lines. Now in the data science community, a data model means something completely different. It's a model of the actual data showing uh, linear regression showing trends of data and it's used to predict uh, uh, analysis on what to do and outcomes and things like that. Uh, and it's something very different mm -hmm. than what is in the data management industry. Okay. But so ours is more like a data structure model. Okay. So, so who are, who are the folks that would typically um, buy this, uh, buy these models and deploy these models inside organizations? Is this your, is this your data scientists or is this your, your data management community or, or who was that? 
usually the data management community, although a lot of times the data governance community might use it as a basis for their data governance, for their glossaries, uh, sometimes semantics uh, communities, mostly the data management communities and mostly uh, uh, sometimes applications to say, well, we need a database design or sometimes data lakes. Mm -hmm. uh, any, anytime you need a, uh, a to do a design for the data, uh, it makes no sense to start from scratch, which I found out. So we say, okay, let's start with a template and customize it from there. Right. Uh, and, and as a person who's developed a lot of rudimentary data models in my career and, and some advanced data models in my career, you know, you end up doing exactly that is kind of reinventing the wheel. And you realize halfway through it is like, man, I reinvented the wheel again. It's like you, you have to <laughs> resolve all the same challenges because you've gone down this rabbit hole and you've, you're figuring out all these relationships, but there's some real commonality through, you know, especially when you have industry-based model, uh, models, which I know you have, um, right. you know, there's certain truths. Like if you're a bank, you're probably going to do a lot of similar stuff to other banks. Somebody's already created a model that you can use to now, you know, amplify what you need to do. Maybe you have some unique stuff. And that's where I think your your models come in is like, here's a good basis for this, but now build on top of that versus trying to get all this kind of stuff that we've done many times over, uh, trying to figure that all out again. And in each industry, we've worked with many financial uh, services industries. So it's interesting how the same issues appear. Like for instance, in banking, you mentioned mm -hmm. uh, accounts and portfolios are often confused. What's mm. an account and what's a portfolio? And even within these financial institutions, people have different ideas about it. So in these models, we, we make distinctions between what these various entities are all over the model and healthcare between encounters and episodes and healthcare mm. service deliveries and there's all these distinctions that we make in the models. Well, oh, man, and it, cuz it's not even just about creating a database. It's really about saying like it this is an accelerator to so much of your data governance and data management efforts cuz most of the time we get into these meetings talking about data and like trying to decide stuff and it's less important what we decide than what that we have consistency about it. And like if we can exactly. just come in and say hey, this has worked in a lot of places, start with this and then adapt, how much time can you save with, with your clients? I imagine that's a huge benefit that they get. Huge, huge. And and we jumpstart glossary efforts, like we have a universal business glossary, where there's so much confusion. Like, for instance, in healthcare, the distinction between members and subscribers and dependents mm -hmm. and uh, and employees. And uh, there's, there's a lot of confusion. Like, for instance, a, a subscriber doesn't have to be a member, but it could be. And uh, there's a lot of confusion there. Yeah. So now that we have like in, in, in whether it's the past 10 years or the past 15 years, like pick a pick a time frame. But there, there's a lot of developments in, in how we structure and store data with data lakes and the cloud. And we've got no SQL databases and graphs and all of this. How much, if any, does all this technology stuff influence these these data models or is what's been true still true how do you have to adapt them to to this world of technology or do you well so that's a great question what's been happening is that uh, a lot of times what i have seen and when many of my colleagues seen is a lot less data modeling uh, because people say well you could do schema on read you could just build your structure without having a design in place yeah. And you're probably smiling because <laughs> in a lead, you see what happens there. That's we right. Create, 
data swamps. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, uh. And then there's even this question about is data modeling dead? You know, mm -hmm. I give a talk on 14 trends. Yeah. And, uh, and we say, is data modeling dead? Well, how can understanding the nature and structure of data, how can that be dead? That's like architecture is dead. Let's build buildings without understanding the foundation and structure behind them. So very often these days with data lakes, there's a perceived lesser need, but in fact, there's a greater need mm -hmm. because we have all of these different technologies and to understand the nature of the data and how it integrates. And, and today, since there's so many different platforms for data, this data integration is uh, a greater issue now more than ever. Yeah, you know, with, with data lakes in particular, I was smiling because it, I feel like that whole notion of the schema on read like made it 10 times more difficult for data lakes to be successful in the end because people just right. took it as we don't have to do any more work. We could just wait for another day and figure that out later. So they created this like half-baked idea of let's bring all the data together but not do any of the hard part of data warehousing. That'll work out well. And like it just right. it just doesn't make any sense and it's been so frustrating because so many data lakes have <laughs> such potential but then never realize that potential because nobody organized it well enough um and that right. reminds me so so knowing like it, and it makes total sense too. like the 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 need for good data modeling is as important as it as it always has been and i i kind of if not more important and that that makes a lot of sense in your vantage point because you're you're doing all of this work that ostensibly you have data models but so much of this goes back to um, you know applying that inside the business, and there's kind of two threads that I want to want to tug on. One is a little bit more tactical around how do you see the evolution of like data catalogs and and kind of what what those are starting to serve in businesses, and and are we on the right track with these, or, or just where do where does that all fit in? And then the second thing, which will be our bigger topic, um, we'll be talking some more about the organizational change and human dynamics side of it. But once we get on that, we're never getting out of that so let's let's talk about data catalogs first <laughs> yeah so i think the move toward data catalogs is um is great mm -hmm. and we've been talking about this for decades in terms of the need for metadata uh, although that's a very technical term so right. catalog is wonderful a way to look up the information about data a way to look up i i think of it as the six uh, questions you could ask the who what why when where how Right. Questions. Um, and the data catalog is the view into a business glossary, as well as the data dictionary, which are two different things, as well as any policies or rules or anything else. So basically, um, it's extremely important, especially since data governance is so important these days to know what is there, what is here, who is stewarding it, um, how things are connected. It's really like your map. The data catalog is like the map. Yeah. So what we're doing is creating these universal business glossaries that are Excel files that you can import into mm -hmm. any data catalog to say, hey, let's jumpstart the, the business glossary. Let's jumpstart the data dictionary uh, with your enterprise-wide possible definitions. Um, and so, yes, I see the evolution. And, and that's one thing I see in the evolution of data catalogs that 
instead of having a data catalog that is this empty place to store metadata, um, I see the evolution as in the future, people are going to have data catalogs. When they buy the data catalog, it's going to have all sorts of useful information. So you're not just buying an empty box, you're buying a box with a lot of extremely useful stuff on standards, on template models, on template uh, uh, business glossary definitions, on template policies, uh, uh, on how you do rules, all sorts of things so that you're not just starting with an empty box, which by the way, today, that's how it mostly is. Yeah. And and I think that you're right because I think the potential, like, and, and, you know, a lot of these functions that data catalogs are now kind of collecting, they're not new functions, like doing right. definitions or doing a data dictionary or what have you. There's a lot of cool things you can do at a data catalog. Um, in the past, they were all kind of a la carte. They were all over the place. And and I think that the data catalog has this potential of consolidating in a useful way um, a lot of this functionality, whereas Absolutely. in the past, it's been on some shared drive or some Excel sheet somewhere. Like it, It's very difficult for people to use. It's been so funny to me in the data management space or governance space and broadly is, is we spend all this effort to compile the information and then we hide it and then nobody can find it anywhere and nobody's even looking right. for it because they don't even know we worked on it because nobody talks to each other. And so like there's all these extra barriers for it to become valuable. If we can at least get a data catalog to be this kind of central hub that not only has a bunch of information baked into it from the very beginning, but it also becomes a place to collaborate and fine tune what that organization derives from that and what it, adds on top of that there's where you create some critical mass of people using it now you got something right so we have uh, these useful tools but the rub is this idea of saying okay let's say all the different departments put in their own definitions and their own semantics and in the data catalog you fill it with all sorts of mixed semantics and inconsistencies across systems and you're filling them with this and then trying to tie it together. So the rub is we need a common vocabulary, right. uh, which we don't have in businesses. Now, it doesn't mean to have this ivory tower restrictive way you must do this, but some way to integrate, some way to integrate. So what I've been saying for decades now is that the greatest issue that we have in data management is this issue of data mining, mm -hmm. not not exploration of data, but this data is mine, 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 mine. Yeah. So when everybody takes the data catalog and put in my data and my definitions and my semantics and my systems, and a lot of times it doesn't come together, uh, we need this integration and glue because basically the uh, disintegration means to separate into pieces or in other words, to crumble. And a lot of our systems are actually disintegrating. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. So and, and I, I I love the data mining thing. I'm so glad you brought it up because at least <laughs> once a month I say that to somebody and I always give you attribution. I always credit you personally saying Len Silverson talks about data mining because it comes up constantly. And yeah. I, you know, it's it's been something that for for many years, you know, I recall you hearing this years ago, and I still am talking about it um okay. because it's such an important point. So, you know, I I, I encourage everyone to, to remember that because it is it is very, very common uh everywhere as, as people hold on to this stuff like it's it's you know 
they gain something by not sharing it. And where in reality, it's by integrating, by sharing that the collective, it's that growing the pie mentality um, that that data exposes in a, in a tremendous way, because it's one of those things where it's, it's we, we've talked about, we love in the data management space, we love to come up with analogies for things. And it's it's difficult. It's more difficult than you think to to have a good analogy for for data. We've heard like data is oil type of, of situation, yeah. <laughs> and it's it, it, it there's there's some aspects to it that are correct. Like you can refine it, and you can use it for different things at different stages of the refinement process. But once you use oil, it's gone in any of those forms. Data, yeah. on the other hand can continue to grow and it can the more you use it, the more it can right. be used. And so right. it, it has this different property that I don't know that I've heard the, like I haven't found that perfect analogy yet. And sometimes I'll come up with some on the fly and they, they often don't work out very well. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I'm, I'm trying still. Do you have, do you have that analogy of, of data that, that will work perfectly? Well, one of, one of the expressions I use, and I actually wrote an article called data mining, and data hoursing. And this data hoursing is more like the nature of data. If you have oil, if you have money, you give it to someone else mm -hmm. and it transfers ownership from me to you. Data has a quality of being much more easy to share because we can share it and still own it and everybody can have it and we can collaborate and share data and have it be ours. Now, of course, yeah. there's privacy and security things that you sometimes you want it to be mine but it does have a quality that's, um, that, that allows data hoursing uh, to take place, uh, but where we get stuck, and this is when we're doing data models, when we're doing business clusters, when we're doing data management, and I know you know this because all data professionals face this, is this is where the human behavior comes in yeah. to say, but I want it to be mine. <laughs> if I'm a salesperson and I've developed uh, uh, my contact management system and they say, oh, good, take all your contact management uh, thing and integrate it in with the rest of the organization's data. It's like, no, 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 that's mine. That is yeah. mine. That's data mining. <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, I don't want to integrate. I don't want to share. I don't want to share. Data is power. I don't want to mm -hmm. share power. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny because you have that situation and then you also have like in, in data governance organizations, they'll often um, identify data owners. And I have, right. you know, data owners is not as appealing to some folks as us in the data management space would often like to think it is. Like sometimes like I'm going to, there's no, there's no upside to being a data owner in a lot of people's minds. Like they're like, I do not want this responsibility. Only bad things happen. And, and in some cases they're, they're they may be right, you know, so it's, it's, there's, there's both this desire sometimes to hold on to data tightly because there's perceived power in, in that exclusivity. And then there's also a time to, to flee the responsibility because they're like, right. I don't want this problem. I, this is, right. I got other sometimes stuff to people don't want the data. Being yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And the term data owner, a lot of times with clients, we go along with it because that's how they've set up their, their practices. But when you really look into it, sometimes it creates some issues because the data is not really owned by that person. The responsibility for stewarding that data right. and the processes around that data. So um, it's, it's probably more accurate to say they're data stewards or data custodians uh, than data owners, but they want them to own the responsibility for that. Uh, 
But sometimes when you call them data owners, what I've seen is people say, okay, good, I own that data and they pronounce themselves king and that could happen. Uh, um, it may or may not happen, but the important thing is, is, is to facilitate sharing. And if we use words like stewardship or custodian, that actually um, is more in alignment with this idea of, yeah, I'm gonna take responsibility. I'm gonna own responsibility but I'm stewarding this enterprise-wide asset. Right. And in some cases, it's more than an enterprise-wide asset. It's a community across organizations' assets. Right. And 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 if those of you who are, are watching or listening to this, you, you may be picking up that there is this whole linguistic kind of philosophical approach that you kind of have to have in this data governance and, and data management space, because while there may be, quote unquote, like the correct terms from a, a data management professional perspective, many organizations have developed their own nomenclature around a lot of this stuff. And so they call different things, different terms. You don't necessarily want to have them all change their language just to change the language. As long as they can all communicate with one another, um, you know, that can be effective. Before we move into what I'm pretty sure everybody wants to talk about, which is is the Zen side of things, is is you know, when you apply your your universal data models and, and you're working with organizations, how do you translate the standard to their particular needs and their particular situation, whether the models are or the language broadly? Well, um, the, the first thing is there's a misunderstanding about template models uh, where like we publish a lot of our models and then we license them for very small fees hmm. uh, comparatively with the, with the market. And, and um, the idea is, is to allow these models to be very accessible uh, so that people can customize it. Hmm. But um, there are other models uh, out there in the industry that are quite expensive and it, it kind of defeats the point because what happens is, uh, is people will view the model as, oh, I, I am using this model. Uh, mm -hmm. This is the right model. And we say, no, you're not using these models. These models are to jumpstart your model. Right. So they are not meant to just... Now, some companies ignore this advice and they say, oh, we're just going to implement it exactly as is. But what they don't realize is in any model, we're making choices where there could have been a hundred different ways we could have done this. Uh, and, uh, and we'll show and I'll write about some of the variations, but it's I, an idea to say, okay, let's jumpstart. Have you thought about this? Have you thought about this? Have you thought about this? So basically I spend most of my time doing what we call jumpstarts. And it might mm. be anywhere from four hours to uh, like 10 days of time where I'll help uh, companies take these template models and very quickly customize it to their needs because that's what's really important. Mm. And what I say is, you know, these models that you're using, whether it's the published versions of them or the, or the uh, licensed versions of them, or whatever versions you're using, are not the right models. They're right. not the right models because there is no such thing as the right model. Right. And this idea that there's a right model is this other, it's another form of data mining. <laughs> My way is right, you know. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's restrictive. So um, now there's a whole methodology we developed around customizing it, where like, for instance, in the patterns we identified, like the reason data models vary, the biggest reason that data models vary is a concept called generalization versus uh, being specific. Hmm. And we've developed a methodology to say, hey, if you're doing 
a model, it could be a level one, a level two, a level three, a level four, a level five. Level one is very, very specific model. Like for instance, contact information being a, a 30 attributes about phone, phone numbers and the first phone number, the second phone number and the three mobile numbers and, and your Facebook and your uh, uh, Instagram and all your, all your ways of getting in touch with people. Very, very specific. Level two say, well, wait a minute, we might have, wanna have specific entities for phone number and for emails and for social media. Right. Uh, third level, we say, hey, let's generalize. We're putting a bigger umbrella around it and say, oh, there's contact information. Uh, and by the way, some people say, oh yeah, that's normalization. It's actually different than normalization. Mm. That's a, a different concept. We're putting a, a bigger umbrella and this comes around to semantics and ontologies and taxonomies as well and linguistics and we right. we live in communication it's how we communicate and so on and you have different levels so what we do is we have this whole methodology to say look here's the template model sometimes even even in the template we'll use a generic and a specific construct and we'll navigate back and forth to customize it to get to the level of generalization that's appropriate if you need a lot of flexibility you leave it very generalized if you need uh, it to be more understandable, you have it specific. Mm -hmm. And um, so we're changing that as well as saying, well, you call it a vendor, not a supplier. We're changing semantics right. uh, to meet their semantics. And those are the two biggest reasons that data models vary. Got it. Very interesting. So, so yeah, so you're in this constant flex between specificity between customization between generalization you know there's there's impacts to even your your database structures and and the the, the platforms that you're using and, and creating but you know so much and 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 I hope for those of you out there who don't do a lot of database development and 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 architecture and that stuff that are listening to this you know realize we haven't talked about any technologies. We haven't talked about you know database tables and columns and indexes and all that technical stuff. This has all been about communications, human, you know, the way people talk to one another, the way people think about things inside of their businesses, some of the the truths and commonalities around different businesses within the same industries, and and how we can use some some structured templates, some structure alongside what makes our businesses unique to to move you know, and create the, the systems that we need to, to do our business, to manage our data, to use that stuff, um, to become better at what we do. And so this has been, you know, really interesting on that side. So I want to shift gears because we have to talk more about Zen and meditation and, and that stuff. So can you give us a little background on how did you get into this? Has this been something you've done your whole life or did, was there a point where you got into this and realized just how meaningful Zen and meditation could be to even just the data management community in particular, not to mention people more generally? Yeah, so there's, there's actually like three components. One is this data model that we talked about. Mm -hmm. And that leads to after we did this for like 10, 15 years, you know, customized models, we realized, wow, there's a lot of fighting. Even with all these <laughs> templates, there's tons of fighting and all this uh, fiefdoms and control and kingdoms and data mining and, and, and lack of trust and, all, and conflicts, all this stuff. And, and we're saying, wow, we, yeah, we can jumpstart efforts uh, and save a lot of money and time, but not necessarily be successful. Yeah. You know, unless you have the right human dynamics. So I've been teaching on human dynamics and data about um, a per shared purpose and motivations and trust and communications and conflict. 
um, for like the last 15, 20 years okay. uh, within the data industry. But this is also in line with, um, with my Zen practice, uh, which is all about, Zen is a Japanese word that means awareness. Mm. Uh, it means being aware. And um, let's say early in my career in the late 80s, uh, I, I worked for a, a company called Oracle. And, uh, and after that, I worked for Arthur Anderson as a consultant, you know, mm. 80 to 100 hour weeks. Yeah. And there was tremendous, tremendous stress and craziness. And, um, and and what brought me into this was my own personal pain. Mm. It was just tremendous personal pain. And um, so I went and studied in India and went on all these retreats. And then I started leading retreats and, and practicing because in the end, data modeling is important and it's understanding, but um What's really important is life. Life is important. How to live a great life. That's what's most important. Hard to, I think it's hard to argue with that, that statement, yeah. you know? And, uh, uh, and the irony is in Zen, there's something called the eightfold noble path. It's like the way to be. And the first step is proper understanding. So uh, in data modeling, you get proper understanding, but in, Zen, what we're talking about proper understanding is not only understanding um, uh, these structures, but understanding everything. Mm. Now, my Zen teacher that I've studied with of like over 15 years, uh, he always uh, says the statement, see the data, look at the data. And it's not a database community <laughs> or IT community. It's like, look at what's around. Everything is data. Yeah. So we get all involved in stories and emotions and get off balanced. Like, for instance, this coronavirus stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, um, I, I, I just am submitting an article for, for TDAM, this, TDAM this month on being Zen with coronavirus data because people are jumping to conclusions mm -hmm. and people have very strong opinions about this. And... We, and we have this thing in our field called data storytelling. But I say before data storytelling, first see, what's the data? Like be able mm -hmm. to see. So Zen is about awareness, uh, which, by the way, is also what data is about. So as I've been a data professional, uh, I've been um, studying Zen pretty, um, uh, pretty seriously. Uh, and uh, very often I'll leave for 10 days or a couple of weeks and and go off on retreats or lead retreats. And I've been doing that for uh, uh, for the last, well, I've been studying Zen for, since uh, 1989. So, um, uh, but what's the last 15 years, I've been, as you know, at many conferences, I give mm -hmm. my Zen with Len talk. And the first question is, what does Zen have to do with data? Yeah. And my answer is everything. Zen is data. Yeah. Data is signals that we get. And Zen is the awareness of all of these signals. Mm -hmm. um, and if we don't see the data, we're lost. Yeah. Like uh, there's a lot of facts, quote unquote facts that go around the internet on the coronavirus, for instance. 
you know, like there's one that went viral saying uh, a coronavirus vax, uh, um, that there's a 99.7% uh, cure rate for anybody under 50 that the corona, uh, uh, for, for anybody that tested positive for it and that the coronavirus is leveling off. This was like a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And certainly it's not leveling off. And when you look at this data, it's uh, misinformation. It's it's not backed up with anything real, but right. except for the idea that it's been spread all over the internet. So what happens, we do the same thing in business. We look at things and we can't really see you can't really see what's happening. Uh, so you know the uh, triangle we use in data management, data, information, knowledge, and wisdom? Yep. And we have data management, information management, knowledge management, and wisdom management. Mm-hmm. And what wisdom is, is when you take this data, you put it into context, that's information, you have a body of it, that's a knowledge, and then you take this knowledge and you apply it to something mm-hmm. real useful, and that's wisdom. Or whiz comes from the Germanic whiz to see, and dumb means to act upon. So we're seeing what is happening and going on. So whether it's in Zen, in data management, or when I'm coaching someone to say, wow, there's a deep personal issue, psychological issue of I'm not enough, or what do I do in my career? It's to see what's going on. It's to understand. It starts with understanding of what is going on without the stories, without the opinions, without the judgments. Yes, those happen. Yes, emotions happen. But let's first see what's going on. So to answer your question, why did I do this? One, I was motivated by pain in my own life, but then two, to help. And what I find is Applying Zen, applying awareness, applying wisdom in the data management field, as well as I do it personally in my Zen with Len, that site, you know, um, uh, it's, I mean, I have two goals to, uh, to be of service and to enjoy. And I'm enjoying this interview. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, it for those of you who are listening and not and not watching the the, the YouTube video, it, I've been smiling this entire time <laughs> listening to to Len talk through this um, because it's so it brings me back to to several of the events where I've been able to be in your Zen with Len session at these conferences, which I've always loved because I mean you, you were my introduction to doing meditation and and I was able to sit in on some of your your classes through Zen with Len and and and. Things like that. Um, But I, you know, I want to tell a little bit of a story because there's you've done these these Zen with Len courses and I won't spoiler it for for anybody else. So we'll probably put a couple links in uh, to some videos that you have. So for people that are interested, I can see that in the show notes. Um, But so one of the conferences is at this nice resort in San Diego. It's this beautiful setting. And and we do this this uh, Zen with Len and we have it out on the beach and we're all standing in this nice grass and, and the weather's perfect because it's San Diego and and we we do the, the that session and and it, and it's and it's amazing. But I have to tell you that that's not my favorite place that we've done it. My favorite place where I've been in your Zen with Len um, session at a data management conference was, and I, I want to say it was at the Sheridan. I think it was still in San Diego, but it was in this courtyard. It was like this cobblestone. 
it was basically a fishbowl. It was in the bowels of this conference center. We're just like in this pseudo outdoor area and there's noises everywhere. There's people walking by and they're looking at us and they're like, what are these people doing? And it was there where I'm like, this is the right environment to try to find some peace, to try to find some, because there's distractions everywhere. And that's our life. We're constantly being looked at from every direction. And in that case, it was literally. And 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 we, we have to find that peace amidst that. And so I found that exactly. that was actually an even better venue. And I don't think I've ever told you that before, mm-hmm. but that was something that I thought was really, really appropriate in the context of a busy data management conference, doing a bunch of um, learning and, and other stuff. It was this moment of peace amidst chaos around us. And I think that's why a lot of what you um, talk about and teach has has resonated with me because I'm, I'm kind of high energy and I'm all over the place all the time. Finding some grounding and some, some calmness and quiet really has helped me a lot. So I want to thank you personally for mm. doing that because it's helped me a lot in my career and in just in my overall well-being as a as a human being. Um, but mm. I know that I'm just one of, of many, many folks that you've reached both through uh, the data management work that you've done, as well as with universal data models and with with your Zen practice. Um, you know, you're you're absolutely um you know, one of the most amazing people in the space. So I'm, I'm thrilled to have you on oh, today. You. We still have another minute or two. What else should we have covered? Because we haven't talked a lot in detail about like what um you know what times are like today and and with COVID nineteen and 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 the yeah. you know everybody's kind of still working out of their houses when we're recording this. Um, you know we don't know we don't see quite light at the end of the tunnel of how we're going to come out of this yet. And so what what are you relying on in both your business and in your Zen practice to to help you get through this this weird time? Yeah, well, one of the um, things that's happening, especially with coronavirus, is even more bombardment of data. So people are on their computers and there's tremendous amounts of information that's being shared. Yeah. And there's 2 trillion queries, a, a Google query, just Google queries a year, you know, 2.3 million every second. And we're bombarded with all this information. And by the way, a lot of it is misinformation and a lot of it is based on stories and distortions. So it's like I do a presentation where we're, uh, I take a, like hundreds of balls and I start throwing at people. And it's like, that's what's happening. We're getting bombarded with all this data. Or uh, glass, if the, if the glass is your mind and I fill up the water and the water is coming in and it's pouring in and overflowing in the glass, our minds are overloaded. And that's why this coronavirus um, is, is a perfect opportunity to actually take some time and space. And I give people a challenge that a lot of people will do uh, of say, just take one minute and do nothing. Yeah. Uh, and at the conferences, you you did that for a yeah. while. Well, but I have I've had people. I have one person, uh, and I say, and when you do it, text me one character. You know, for two and a half years, for two and a half years, he texted me one character, the first character of his first name, and he said it changed his life. Mm-hmm. If we can create space in our minds if we can create space in our lives, then we take away all of this frantic energy around it. Do we know what's going on with coronavirus? No, there's a lot of unknowns and it creates a lot of nervousness. But Zen is also about accepting that we don't know uh, and allowing this space 
Um, and there's an advantage to not knowing because when we don't know, there's infinite possibilities. Right. Uh, and then relaxing with that. Uh, and this is important in the data management field, in our life field, in, in everything we do to relax, to understand things. I mean, this has given me an opportunity to be more at home, not to travel so much, to actually uh, do more work at uh, refining our models, refining our, our products, but also stopping and, and having space uh, to be. Mm. And then this creates unbelievable outcomes of creativity. So, uh, so uh, for, for you listeners, I would really encourage you to experiment and, and take a minute and just see what happens if you could just stop for a minute. Uh, and, um, and then if you want, text someone. You know, I don't know if you're going to provide contact information if you want uh, to text Anthony or text me because it's good for accountability mm -hmm. or text a friend. And say, yeah, I, I I did this. We have uh, regular sets um, uh, on my Zenwood Lens site, and the idea is we stop for longer than a minute. But the idea is just to stop, just to create space, because without that space, there's this craziness that's going on. And by the way, I think there's a bigger disease than COVID nineteen, uh, which is called panic. Mm. And, and I know it's very, very difficult for many people and there's people dying. And if you've lost a loved one, I'm so sorry, you know, uh, but a very difficult thing, but the panic actually weakens our immune system and it actually makes us more susceptible to it. So it's a very important thing to maintain, even with this difficult situation to maintain this, this calmness, yeah. which is part of Zen. Uh, so, um, uh, so I'm doing what I can. I, I think I'll be doing another talk on Zen and data in, a, in several different teleconferences uh, on saying, okay, so this is, you know, to tackle this disease of the anxiety yeah. uh, is, is also important. Of course, COVID-19 also, but, uh, but the two of them are, are related. And by the way, in data management, that's one of the big issues too. Once we get people calmed down, what happens is we actually can solve this data integration issue. Uh, yeah, you, you really, if, if you're trying to move in every direction at once, it's very difficult to move anywhere at all. You know, it, exactly. it's- Exactly, we, we're, 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 we're all over. We're disconnected and disintegrated. And, uh, uh, and yet, if we slow down and create space and understand and understand our shared real purpose and understand people's motivations and um, get in touch with more of our true nature versus this made up stuff. I call it artificial intelligence. You know, we act artificially, not with machines, but ourselves. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and, and then we can slow down and do amazing things. Yeah, Len, I think that's that's some fantastic advice. This has been a, a show episode of, of amazing advice throughout. So thank you. This has been it's been amazing to, to have you on, and, and I hope we can have you on again. This has been a lot of fun for me. I'd um, love to. I'd love to. This is fun. So thank and you. I hope uh, I hope for those listening, this has been helpful to you. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it has. So, so thank you, Len, and thank you for watching or listening today. You'll find more information and links in the show notes. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and leave a review of our show on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You can find information about supporting the show directly and how to get a signed copy of my Data Leadership book at patreon.com forward slash data leadership lessons. Visit algman.com to learn more about Algman Data Leadership and the many ways we can help you become a data leader. Stay safe during these unusual times and go make an impact.